0: This episode is brought to you in part by Richmond Graduate University. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly. Richmond Graduate University can equip you to become a licensed professional counselor, integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmond.edu.
1: At the beginning of this month, Hillsong, New York City pastor Carl Lentz was fired. A day after the news went public, he posted a picture of his family on Instagram. When you lead out of an empty place, you make choices that have real and painful consequences, he wrote in his post. I was unfaithful in my marriage, the most important relationship in my life, and held accountable for that. This failure is on me and me alone, and I take full responsibility for my actions. In 2010, Lenz co-founded Hillsong New York with Joel Houston. The church drew lines around the block and caught the eye of A-list celebrities, none more famous than Justin Bieber. Lentz, who also became famous for his wire-rimmed glasses, plunging V-necks, and designer sneakers himself became the subject of a number of profiles. I'm going to read you an excerpt from a GQ piece that was published by journalist Taffy brodesser ackner The music, the lights, the crowds, begins an incredulous woman narrating a CNN segment on Hillsong New York City. It looks like a rock concert. In the Chiron reads, "'Hipster preacher smashes stereotypes.' They call Pastor Carl a hipster. Carl says he doesn't know what that means, and he wears a motorcycle jacket when he says this. Pastor Joel, Houston, the co-pastor at Hillsong New York City and the son of Hillsong founder Brian Houston, is unwilling to acknowledge that there's something going on here. Yes, he tells me, sure, he likes clothes, but that's the end of it. I should ask Pastor Carl about the clothes, he tells me. What Pastor Carl does, he says, that's intentional. And then he laughs we wanted to discuss a swath of young fashion forward pastors like Lens. What does their aesthetic reveal about their ministry? And what does our fascination with this aesthetic reveal more broadly about the American slash Western church? You are listening to Quick to Listen, where we go beyond hashtags and hot takes to discuss a major cultural event. I'm Morgan Lee, Global Media Manager at Christianity Today.
2: And I'm Kate Shelnut. I'm the Senior News Editor at Christianity Today and filling in as a guest host this week.
1: It's really great to have you here.
2: Thank you so much for inviting me.
1: (laughs) My pleasure. And it's also going to be really fun to talk about a subject that I know you and I have had a number of really interesting conversations over the years, but never actually published something on. So this is a big day for both of us.
2: Yeah, everyone's getting kind of behind the scenes of what some of our chatter looks like as we follow the headlines along with everybody else.
1: All right, Kate, we have talked about this topic For a number of years, at least, you know, we were acknowledging on CT Slack and email. There's been so many pieces that have come out about Hillsong and Carl Lentz during our time at CT. What are your thoughts about this particular story and about his look?
2: My initial reaction to this, of course, we're always sad when we hear about an incident like an affair or marital trouble. And so, of course, that's a sad thing to come to terms with, but at the same time, it has bombarded us with media coverage from secular outlets, everybody from TMZ and People and The Sun and The New York Post. And just to see the level of attention given to an evangelical leader, kind of someone in our church world, I see it just so much as a result of the way that he has dressed and branded himself and drawn the attention of mainstream media. So my gut is kind of parsing what is the outside interests of non-Christians or people outside the church of this guy who's a pastor, and what does it say about his ministry?
1: Yeah, I completely agree. It's interesting because I haven't necessarily known how to interpret the types of clothes that he wears as if they should have a bigger meaning or sense of them or not. I mean, on the one hand, if you're trying to reach twenty and thirty somethings in New York City, is it that surprising if you're gonna wear the clothing that seems to be similar to what that demographic is wearing? <laughs> I mean, it seems like in other instances you see pastors often dressing very similarly to their surroundings. For instance, I remember in California my parents being just surprised by how casual people would dress in the Bay Area and how pastors especially would dress, but that was just very similar to what the actual culture in the Bay Area was and how casual it was or I remember going to church in Hawaii and seeing pastors wear flip-flops and so forth. So is there something that is actually surprising by the way that Lentz decided to portray himself is definitely a question I have and I want to get into today. And the other thing I think is a point that you are making about just how much, how many celebrity websites and how much celebrity coverage he seems to be getting. I don't know why this story maybe doesn't appeal to me or surprise me more, but it is really fascinating how much You were mentioning different outlets covering it. I think Vanity Fair was one of them. That was very shocking to me to see that. And then some of the other celebrity gossip websites that I like to read were just talking about this. It was actually very hard for me, I have to say, to read news like this on a gossip website (laughs) because that's just not how I'm familiar with it, especially thinking of something like Jerry Falwell Jr., right? And that was all like straight news for a long time versus gossip news has definitely more of a speculative quality. but definitely mainstream celebrity sites are very intrigued with him it does leave me wondering like where does that initial intrigue come from and was that something that was actually maybe helpful or even quote-unquote missional for a long time to have that type of sense of intrigue and that's what helped people who might not necessarily have seen themselves as churchgoers decide to come to this church i think that's an interesting question to ask so who is our guest today Today, to talk
2: about this topic, we're going to see that just as Hillsong has global reach, the question of hipster pastors is not one that we're just chatting about here in America, because we have Catherine Ajibade, who was formerly a researcher for the British evangelical think tank Theos. And when she was there, she wrote about celebrity faith. She is now a PhD candidate studying anthropology at the London School of Economics. I'm really interested to talk with her about yeah, this dynamic between celebrity appeal and fashion. Hey, Catherine. Hi, how are you
3: guys doing?
1: It's really great to talk to you. Let's kind of just like talk about Carl Luntz for a second, especially for those of our listeners who may not be as familiar with him. How would you describe his aesthetic?
3: I mean, that's a great question because it's kind of what caught my attention. I initially thought, this guy dresses kind of weird for a religious leader and actually just a normal guy. I mean, he (laughs) loves a leather jacket. Mm -hmm. Uh, I feel like he loves a skinny jean. And, you know, those, as you described them, you know, the oversized aviator, like clear lens glasses. Like, oh, I just remember seeing that picture and thinking that's a bit much. But yeah, the checkered shirts, the low VT shirts, that's the Carl Lenz brand right there.
2: I remember, I was going to just weigh in that I met him in person once, and it's a lot of look to see over video when he's on stage. You know, sometimes people who speak on stages and especially in big auditoriums like Hillsong write that they might dress differently just like an actor would. But when you're kind of confronted with him, you know, in a conversation, it's a lot to I remember being distracted and giving him an up and down because he was wearing high ankle boots, the tight jeans with rips. And he was next to Rich Wilkerson, who's another celebrity pastor friend. And that was the first time I saw somebody bringing back a WWJD bracelet. This was probably five years ago. Um, <laughs> it, it was a lot of uh, very accessorized, and your eye kind of doesn't know where to go when you see it in person.
3: Yeah, I can definitely imagine that. And the over accessorization is something that, I mean, this will probably come up during our conversation, but when we talk about, just for me, I think the look and the materialize, the materialism that I take issue with is this, is this excess, which I think comes into the overall branding.
1: Catherine, when you were kind of intrigued and trying to get a sense of this guy's vibe and style, what type of reactions did you have? Were you like, man, this person really seems like they're trying to impress people who are going to his church or he just seems to be really into fashion? Was it about him being a pastor? What about it made the fashion part interesting?
3: I think initially, so I, I remember in 2010 seeing a news article about him and Joel Houston and this church that they had set up in New York. And what I thought was so fascinating at the time, I mean, I was, I was quite young. I was really getting into my faith and I thought, oh my goodness, like, these are two young guys." And they're doing something quite incredible in creating this space that feels relevant to me as a young person. I mean, I was a bit like, oh, this is a bit much. But he's wearing clothes that I would see other young people in. So there was something recognisable about that for me. And it really seemed to play into the overall brand that they were trying to establish. And within that report that I read or the news article that I read, it was talking about all these numbers of young people kind of coming to this. I got it. That was my gut reaction. You know, there were elements of it that made me feel slightly uncomfortable. I didn't necessarily like his fashion sense. But the fact that they were talking about the high numbers of congregants that they were receiving and the brand that they were perpetuating, it, it felt like it made sense. It felt like they were onto something here.
1: Yeah. I When you're talking about the number of young people, my sister had started going to school in New York a little bit after the church opened. And I remember her going to church there. I remember all the lines when I was walking around New York City on Sunday afternoons, because <laughs> lines were extremely long to get in, which I thought was fascinating to see people line up to go to church. It did seem in some ways, I don't know if you get the sense too, Kate, that it it did almost build credibility amongst a different demographic than Maybe folks may have traditionally seen as like the people that would be churched.
2: It was a look that certain people were wearing at that time. You see the same glasses being worn by. Justin Bieber, who is one of the like celebrity adherents who's most associated with with Carl Lentz, that there's a whole group of people who were dressing and looking like this and had this hipster vibe. Yeah, so it's not something that they invented or pulled out of thin air that they were taking cues from from certain influencers or from certain fashion and even from designers who began, I think, making stuff based on on their aesthetic. So yeah, there was a look there, especially. Five, 10 years ago that had a cultural force and a sense of, okay, these people belong and are not outsiders to, to what we're doing.
1: Catherine, was there also a sense that he kind of understood the larger fashion and brand infrastructure too? I know that when it comes to stuff like sneakers, right? Obviously, people pay very close attention to who is behind those sneakers. But was it also that that he kind of like got that world? I think
3: that's definitely true, although I think back in the beginning, he did a good job in presenting his own style, because even though, you know, we've all said five, ten years ago, people were wearing those kinds of clothes, it felt like his own identity was injected into it. I don't know if you guys saw this, but I will never forget the Daily Mail reporting the topless images of him walking around with Justin Bieber.
0: (laughs) I just if
3: we were going to talk about that in particular, but yeah. <laughs> I mean, I just and that changed everything for me because <laughs> I felt. I mean, not, not not for those reasons, but I remember remember looking at this and thinking because the headline. I mean, I can't remember the exact headline, but the headline was something <laughs> like pastor topless walking around LA or wherever tanned, and it was this, you know, very handsome man. And the way the pictures were taken, he looked very bare, for want of a better (laughs) term. And, you know, the whole aesthetic that he was perpetuating then, even when he didn't have any clothes on from the waist up, it was a very kind of culturally normalized idea of masculinity. He had a chiseled chest, he had tattoos, he was tanned. And his clothing and what he's done with his brand really fits into this ideal of him being this culturally engaged, embedded individual who's also a religious leader. So I found it very interesting.
2: Yeah, no, and hearing you describe that and even hearing Morgan talk earlier About church in California, it makes me think back to there was the Calvary Chapel movement, which was led by Chuck Smith. This was like an evangelical church movement here in the U.S. starting in the 60s. And their big thing was like having a surfer dude aesthetic of like, oh, we wore Hawaiian print shirts in worship. It was the kind of thing that you could go to or from the beach to worship. So it has me thinking that like there's been a version of this in history, but perhaps it hasn't looked quite as specific as we see here or been quite as covered in the press and in social media to the point that we, that there's this celebrity wrapped up in it. So perhaps we can talk about when ministers and priests went from more or less wearing uniforms and wearing religious garb and clerical collars to wanting to dress like the people?
3: It's actually that question that got me initially interested into what I was seeing in the figure of Carl So I look at the Jesuits and Ignatian spirituality. And one thing that really struck me as I started engaging with them is what impact Does a spiritual leader dressed in what you would class as normal clothing have on spiritual formation? So in terms of my spiritual formation, so seeing my direct, my spiritual director just as another normal human being, like not necessarily looking or exerting a religious identity. What impact does that have on me and how I connect with him? You know, St. Ignatius was really aware of making sure that the Jesuits were culturally embedded, that they reflected the cultural norms of the context that they were working within. And I think that it has such a massive impact in terms of religious leadership, in terms of social connectivity. I think that we do need to take it a lot more seriously today and I think that's also why people have been so interested in Carl lens because they're curious. There's something about it that just doesn't seem to fit.
2: I'm curious from you guys, to what degree, we've been tiptoeing around this, but like to what degree do we think it's successful and good for the church to see this kind of Branding and look as part of being a pastor, and to what extent do we see some of the damage or negativity that it's done? Because there are people inside and outside the church who, at the very least, question, and then beyond that, I think would explicitly criticize the kind of project of of wanting to be a fashionable pastor, of wanting to be a hot pastor, which some would look at him and say that's clearly what's going on.
1: Yeah, I really like thinking about this because I I would put wanting to be fashionable versus wanting to be hot kind of at different <laughs> different places. I'm not saying that they're not the same thing, but I do think that there is a way to like cultivate your own brand and find like bring your personality to the clothes that you're wearing it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to like invest in your own sex appeal in the same way. And I think maybe that is Part of what has made the Carlton story more interesting is the fact that her, our former colleague, Caitlin Beatty, talking about him projecting hotness, which I think is interesting. But I don't think that is necessarily what has to happen when you decide that you're going to get into different types of fashion at all. I personally, I think it was interesting to hear you, Catherine, kind of talk about how this made you really curious and how clothes in general can be almost an invitation to a conversation to learn more about something or someone. I remember a couple of years ago we published a book excerpt about evangelism and it was called like always ask about the tattoo and it was saying like you know starting conversations with people about their tattoos is often a way that you can learn something deeper about someone and hear more about their story. And I think for people who are really invested in what the the clothes that they're wearing that is often true too like they're wearing part of themselves out there. And I know As far as my own kind of like spiritual formation, when I think about like the clothes that people wear, to the extent that I might see that as aspirational, that in some ways does influence (laughs) my interest or curiosity in learning more about their faith. Right. If they have elements of their life that feel aspirational to me, fashion being one of those.
3: Yeah. And I, I completely agree. And within the context of social media, where everything in the first instance is visual, Clothes just play a huge, huge role in engagement. I mean, I think that there's something in people seeing a recognizable aspect of themselves in somebody else and what that does to create a familiar and safe space. And that's why it kind of feels like, with this subject for me, thinking about it, it's like walking on a tightrope because, on the one hand, like I, I really, really get it. And I really feel like there needs to be more spaces that I think on the first instance feel and look culturally engaged with. That's through fashion, through music, art. But on the other hand, there are aspects of it that make me feel deeply uncomfortable. And I've been tackling with this for a while now. That uncomfort has not gone away. And that signals to me that there's something not quite right here.
2: Yeah, I think that there's something like, okay, let's say I, I move to New York and I decide to stop wearing I live in Georgia now. I decide to stop wearing my Atlanta Braves gear and that I'll wear like New York Yankees gear as a way to fit in, right and relate to people. So there's something in that where it's like, I recognize the context around me. But there's also a degree with fashion that it is status. And it's kind of seeking out attention for if we think of like the preacher sneakers account of like people wearing, you know, shoes that are cost multi thousand dollars or watches that are Gucci branded. So what does it mean when fitting into a context isn't just, well, let me adjust my taste to appeal to the taste of the people I want to reach, but when that involves elevating yourself. And drawing attention to yourself that necessarily highlights the way that you look and your wealth as part of it, and I think that that's where the line is for a lot of people, where it's like, yeah, sure, you, you want to fit in, you want to be relevant, when it comes at the at what seems like an extravagant. Level, I think people start to question pastors' humility. I think they start to question even their bank accounts of like where they're literally investing money. Like, where's this money coming from? Is this our ties that are going to your XYZ? With fashion, and I say this as someone who is not fashionable, this is not my strength, but it, it seems like there's both a cultural dimension and a status dimension to it.
3: Definitely. And as you were talking there, like the word that kept on coming to me is leadership. I think that status and power is to a degree important when you're thinking about leadership and how leaders lead and present themselves. But there needs to be some humility here. I mean, these are Christian leaders, they're not, you know, CEOs. And that's where the uncomfort comes for me. And I love fashion. I've always loved fashion. And as an anthropologist, you know, I love the way that fashion really reflects a person's identity and what they're about before they've even spoken. I think it's such a powerful transmission of who a person is. The wonderful thing about where we are at now, if we're thinking about Western societies, we have so many great options for ethical fashion. I mean, you can dress really well. You can dress in a way that isn't all about brands. You can dress in a way that supports local businesses or, you know, certain social causes. You can dress in a way that you can make sure it's eco-friendly. And none of this seems to correspond with that at all.
1: I do want to talk about (laughs) to what extent that a church's theology seems to impact how pastors approach their clothes. This is at least from my experience of working at CT, but the observations that I have had is that for many mainline Christians who hold relatively liberal theology, their clergy, especially when their clergy is out in public, seems to be dressed in pretty quote unquote old school attire. You know, you have the pastoral stoles and you have folks that seem to not necessarily be overly invested in their fashion based on the fact that many of them still come from denominations that more or less make them wear a uniform, more or less. These pastors, Carl Lentz, Judah Smith, and I'm sure there's others that we can include in here, the ones who seem to maybe be in headlines for their outfits, they come from churches that seem to have much more conservative theology compared to these mainline churches. You know, is there anything to kind of see there with regards to the relationship between theology? Obviously, maybe these progressive churches may have far more conservative views when it comes to other things, you know, and so the progressive part may apply to one part of the theology, but it may not apply to everything. I'm curious what you think, Catherine.
3: I think the word theology is actually key because I know when I was thinking about this, and I have been thinking about this, a lot of the people that they are attracting are new to faith. You know, they're learning about Christianity. There's the potential for this you know, an, an element of confusion on the one hand that you're you're drawn in because you see something that feels familiar, and you want to you want to investigate more of, and you want to be part of you know that religious community. And you're new, you're new to Christianity, right? So you're learning about all this theology. But on the other hand, you're then seeing these really strong articulations of wealth and a concern with dressing not just well but in a way that portrays status and for people who are new to these spaces that must be quite a confusing experience and I think that in terms of representation and then what you experience and here within within these Christian contexts I wonder how much thought is being put into that I mean I'm not a theologian but I can already see that from what I gauge on what they're putting out on Instagram and imagining what those spaces must be like, there must be an element of confusion. People must be questioning, hang on a minute, what's going on here?
2: And when I think of the theology between the two, similar to what you said about attracting new believers, I think about just the even. Evangelism mindedness of conservative churches that even if we think back to like televangelism days where pastors were going to be willing to, and I continue to see pastors who have these big ministries put on makeup and dye their hair and buy nice suits because they know that they're the face of a church and they want to present kind of the best face, thinking that that's going to be what allows people to connect with them. That's going to be what draws people in. And so we see the contemporary version of that, I think, on social media and with some of the younger pastors who are doing the same kinds of things, but you know, with different signals, with different types of, of fashion. So I see a, just a greater impulse to, to care about the face of the organization and even maybe a better sense of charisma behind preachers, and and they would have the same kind of willingness to put in the effort to, you know, accessorize from head to toe because they think that, that there's going to be a, a payoff to it, that it's going to be an effective means at, at drawing people to their brand of church.
1: That's a really good point. It did make me think a lot about how I don't think that American evangelicals have ever really struggled with the idea that fame can't end up being some sort of net positive, you know, and if somehow you end up catching the spotlight of the media, like that's a positive thing, right? You can connect with people, more people that way, they can hear about what you're doing. And so it does seem at times that, (laughs) I guess if we looked at Luntz's fashion is that like that hook, that thing that had brought him in the news, made people more aware of him, it would have some sort of larger missional purpose at the same time and not just serve his own fashion interests or his own vanity, even. Which, speaking of famous folks, let's just talk about Justin Bieber, who is, as we already mentioned, the most famous of the folks that hung out with him. What did you guys make of their relationship over the years for people who followed this closely? They know that there was a falling out at some point, but then they did seem to reconcile. It seems like there's been another falling out since then. But what did his relationship with Justin specifically signal, as you guys see it, And who do you think he was trying to communicate that to?
2: I spoke with Rich Wilkerson, who is the pastor who married Kim and Kanye. And I've heard Carl Lentz say the same thing, where they see their relationship with celebrities as like a mentorship, as an advice, like we want to be there for you. And they don't see anything special or aren't willing to admit admit that there's anything special about ministering to or pastoring celebrities. But at the same time, the looks are so similar that somebody is playing off of somebody here, right? That there are some outfits that I think you could swap between Justin and three or four of the pastors that he hangs out with, whether they be those really oversized sweatsuits that he's worn before, like hoodie sweatshirts and big shoes, those kind of things. I feel like there might be an effort to fit in, to want to say, I want to be able to like roll with a person like Justin Bieber in order to continue to speak into their lives, that that would be kind of the most sincere way of reading it and of of what they would communicate. And I'm inclined to believe that that's a large part of it, that they want to be able to have the the look that they they feel at home on the sideline of a basketball game. Lentz was famously a, a basketball fan and was pictured there. They want to be able to continue to have the ears uh, of those people who they're trying to reach and ultimately help. So I think that's part of it, that fashion is a big part of how they got that access. And as we talked about before, kind of the cred to be able to, to be there.
3: I agree with that. I think that what Carl Lenz did was actually pretty magnificent in terms of, well, I mean, we would, we would call it spiritual accompaniment, the round-the-clock assistance that assurity that he provided, I think at that crucial time, it was just before or just when he cancelled his Purpose World Tour. And he was he was going through a bad time and it was across the press. Everybody was highly aware of this, but through a lot of the paparazzi images, we saw this hipster pastor. I mean, I was also, again, like I've, I've seen this guy around, I think his name is Carl, but I'm not 100% sure. <laughs> but he was there. And I I do think that that level of commitment should be celebrated. And I think that it does speak to this beautiful message of faith that God is always with us. And sometimes you need somebody to help you to facilitate that journey. And I think that that is what some of these celebrity pastors do for individuals that have it quite hard. I mean, Being a celebrity isn't always easy. And living your life in the public realm brings its own difficulties. And I think lately, with everything that happened with Kanye, and his marriage was on the rocks with Kim, Rich Wilkinson, who who she flew out on a private jet to the ranch to talk to him. And that's an extremely trusted position to have. And I do get the sense that when they're stepping into these environments, they they are stepping in as a man of God. Like they are there to mentor and spiritually advise. So I think that I mean that comes with its own responsibilities. The other side of that, which I think is equally difficult to manage, is the then celebrityness that comes with their position and. Yeah. So, you know, we started this conversation talking about Carl infidelity and Morgan, you were saying how uncomfortable it's made you seeing media outlets talk about this. And from everything that he's done, he's gained this celebrity status, which also comes with its own consequences.
0: This episode is brought to you in part by Seattle's Union Gospel Mission. Over 13,000 people in the Seattle area are homeless. Kathy is one of many who found a new life through Seattle's Union Gospel Mission. Growing up, my dad and I didn't get along. I kept running away from home until one time I was assaulted. After that, I carried a lot of pain inside of me and I was doing a lot of drugs. I became homeless. It's taken me almost 40 years to get the healing I needed. But all along, God was looking out for me. He led me to the mission, and the mission has helped me in all kinds of ways. I've learned how to set boundaries and say no. Now I'm looking forward to working for the mission. I want people to know there's hope out there. God can help you heal. And grace will lead. Volunteer or donate. Visit UGM.org. Life is unpredictable. I think all of us learn that. Sometimes we learn it in good ways. Sometimes we learn it in really hard ways. You're valuable to Christianity Today, and we want you to be prepared and protected. And one of the ways that that can happen is by having a will and getting a will together for your family and to care for your loved ones. If you've already set up your will and other important estate planning documents, that's great. But if you haven't, Christianity Today has partnered with Epic Will to easily and affordably walk you through the whole process of creating a legally binding and state-specific will in as little as 10 minutes. You owe it to yourself and your loved ones to take this vital step, and you can get started today by visiting morect.com slash will. That's more but just one oh ct.com slash will and for a limited time you can get ten percent off that's more ct.com slash will
2: I wonder does seeing these celebrities in the spotlight and thinking through the things that we're talking about does it change the way that you see pastors who you interact with day to day? Are there pastors like this in the UK? Or I wonder even for us going back to our individual congregations, are there times that you analyze what other pastors are presenting themselves like? I know that I went to a, a particularly hip Christian conference and I came back feeling pretty schlubby at my own church, but just seeing those <laughs> different expressions of, of how people do church, even between here and Texas, let's say, and everybody comes, you know, done with makeup and hair. And so I wonder, how does it make us think about the way that we and our own leaders present themselves when it comes to any given Sunday, I guess back when we used to see each other in person?
3: That's a really wonderful question because one of the things I guess I have struggled with is feeling like there isn't a comfortable space for me in the Catholic Church. And there isn't a space where I feel like is culturally relevant and is talking in the way that my friends are talking and is interested in the things that I'm interested in. And I've, you know, during my time at Theos, we were a completely ecumenical team. And a couple of my team members went to what would be the equivalent of these mega cool churches run by the likes of Carl Lentz in London. The thing that really got me was that within these environments there was the space to talk about what I would class as culturally relevant issues and I think that's quite interesting in a way that I felt wasn't open within my own Catholic spaces and it's something that I've definitely been wrestling with and I'm you know through my own studies and research I'm trying to push that agenda a bit further. And I really believe in the importance of all faces of Christianity being engaged, culturally engaged in, you know, in any way that sees fit for
1: them. I actually really liked hearing what you had to say, Catherine, because it is interesting about how these clothes also kind of start to symbolize what conversations might be possible, right? Or what the church may see as being something that it wants to talk about and focus on and i think that's a i think that's a really astute point there about how that becomes one of the ways that we might say like oh i fit in here or oh if i bring this up i can expect people to know what i'm talking about right i expect the church leadership that i have to be culturally conversant in this area of something versus seeing them as oh they're an expert in something that i will expect them to be an expert in when i go to church but may not have something to say about something that i'm thinking about monday through friday So I thought that was interesting that you brought that up. I wanted to ask a question about masculinity, which is something that frequently comes up when we're talking about fallen male pastors in particular. It never really seems to get old. What I I guess is interesting to me, though, is that this conversation about Lentz has talked a lot about different things that have to do with gender, but I don't necessarily see people discussing what it meant to have someone like Lentz that looks the way that he does be seen as a Christian pastor. He, I don't know that he talked about masculinity in the same ways as someone like a Mark Driscoll would, but obviously he still had some celebrity pastor status. I don't know if someone, I would be curious to hear from you guys if you feel like he broadened how celebrity pastor, or he, he broadened how quote-unquote American pastors can look and can interact in a healthy way with regards to masculinity, or if you feel like he just kind of ended up Falling and being susceptible to all the same ways that we've kind of seen toxic masculinity play out in other spaces in the Christian world.
2: Well, I think it's true. Just to state the obvious, that like it kind of doesn't matter what you wear. Um, that we <laughs> have, we've got examples across the spectrum of types of male leaders who have abused their power or misused their power in office or ducked down in sexual sin. He definitely wasn't too cool for that or too hot for that. In some ways, no. But I also think that you could see him as an example of a redefinition of masculinity, that we could in some ways expect generation over generation, that the most, I guess, it doesn't take wearing a suit and tie to communicate masculinity in a church setting anymore. Carl maybe isn't an an example of this, but I see more and more church pastors, church leaders, going to like the big bearded look, that that's a new kind of symbol of masculinity within ch- segments of the church. I think tattoos are another one that that he did bring forth, show off. So I think that it, that it's more of like a shifting kind of image of when you think of the pastor guy, that sketch has kind of changed in part because of pastors like him who have gotten celebrity and success. You know, the more pastors who see him and listen to him preach will emulate in some ways what they see from from someone who's successful, who has the name Hillsong, who has the followers that he has. So that influence is going to trickle down, even
3: on a really granular level, I think. And I want to say, I mean, I think it's unfortunate to see what's the situation he's in now. But I what comes to mind is I want to say that he tried and he is trying in terms of presenting a positive masculine influence. There were points where I'm not sure that I always felt like I nodded and said yes. Like this is the this is the kind of masculinity that I think is what's needed across the board. I felt, and I think for me that comes into definitely this whole the brand because that's what he was working with from the beginning is this very particular brand and I've, I've always felt kind of wary of that but I think what we were talking about in terms of the celebrity past as being mentors there's something really important that they do do in providing a positive an alternative masculine example that people are taking to and find a lot of help in, which I think is always something that should be looked at positively. But I still think there's room for interrogation there as
1: well. I, I would, again, be just interested, Catherine, in hearing your perspective being a little bit further out from this this conversation. So Lentz is obviously white. Would you say that his fashion scent sensitivity is some sort of white guy thing? Or is this something that you kind of see play out across the American church slash Western church?
3: I think that it is something that's playing out across leadership in the American church. I mean, I think you only have to look at an Instagram account like Preachers in Sneakers to see white and black pastors.
1: And do you mind sharing a little bit more about what that account was? We talked about it earlier, but it might be helpful to say after.
3: So an account like Preachers and Sneakers, which is an Instagram account that originally started off showing pictures because Instagram is all about pictures and, vis- and the visual of preachers in designer or very hip or hard to get sneakers, a very exclusive sneakers. And it's kind of broadened out now into fashion. So it's not just shoes. It's outfits there's a really uh, there's a striking video of Ron Carpenter in a Dolce & Gabbana jacket and it's just awful because (laughs) it's just it's just like Dolce & Gabbana everywhere and it's very Dolce they now have a podcast uh where they wow yeah yeah they now have a a really popular podcast but it now has um 200,000 followers on Instagram and is certified Whoa. So it has a huge following, like a huge following. Yeah, I mean, I've seen Stephen Furtick. One of the things that always gets me about him, because he's featured a lot on Preachers and Sneakers Instagram, is I think he's dressed immaculately. But what's behind that are the brands, which we could talk a little bit more about. Yeah, you only have to look at that Instagram account to see white and black asters really engaging not just in this stylized form of dress but it's all about the brands you know and if it's not about the exclusive designer brands then it's about the trainers so there's lots of foot shots and there's the whole exclusivity around trainers which i think which i think is why it's so interesting that this really took off because the people who were engaging in this were street, you know, I would maybe say that they were street wise to knowing that pastors wearing a certain version of Nike trainers, those were really exclusive, you know, like I can not even get those because they were <laughs> too expensive. So why is this pastor
1: wearing them? You know? Mm-hmm. Wow. That is quite the thing. I was I was just looking at the Instagram while you were talking and like they have built up a whole... Also, giant media empire themselves, <laughs> with a book coming out and a bunch of stuff on Instagram and a bunch of stuff happening with their podcast. So that that's also fascinating too to watch that happen. I would like to hear from both from you. What does the attention that we paid to Carl Lentz over the years, everything that he's worn and his whole aesthetic, kind of reveal about Western Christians more broadly? Is there some reflection that we need to do in this situation and perhaps? challenging our own convictions?
2: On the one hand, my first thought, even thinking about the preachers and sneakers popularity is kind of an endless gawkerism, either from outside the church or from those of us inside the church to think, oh, well, my pastor isn't like that or I wouldn't go to a church, like to be able to look and point at what is the the thing that we see that maybe crosses the line in our tradition or that that we think is extreme or extravagant. I think that there is a little, a bit of a holier-than-thou, but almost in reverse, a humbler-than-thou attitude when we point fingers or roll our eyes at pastors who are famous for what they wear. That would be maybe one of the first things The other thing is thinking about fashion as an extension of maybe a very evangelical, maybe a very American inclination to want to be individualistic, that here we are kind of what we should be like a a church of equals. We're all proclaiming the same gospel and serving the same God and preaching the same message on Sundays, at least, you know the same essential core to it. And there's this need to be like, but I'm the one who's doing it this way. I'm the one who's doing it wearing, you know, orange shoes, such and such a undercut haircut and this kind of branded t-shirt. So there's this need to kind of distinguish ourselves and brand ourselves, which I think is an interesting phenomenon and one that even if you don't care about fashion so much i think that you can see lots of ways that churches are trying to do that to make a name for themselves versus for kind of the message that we're all supposed to be sharing or make big of you know are we making much of ourselves and we should be making much of god
3: yeah and I, I think that's really interesting in terms of distinguishing and branding yourself and i think status really comes into that so much you know i'm just thinking why is being like, so recognisable as an individual when your primary duty, if you're a religious leader, is to communicate the word of God and support the spiritual development of your congregants. Why is that now becoming so, so prominent? And I was thinking about, you know, how this might differ from the context of the UK. And one of the things I find so striking about this hipster pastor movement in the US is is the branding of it but the brands used to bring in this level of status i find deeply concerning it feels like they're resting on pillars that are so opposed to the single pillar that should be rested on and that is the bible that is the word of god i wonder i mean i would i would personally love to go to one of these churches and to meet one of these celebrity pastors to have have this conversation with them. Because I think as an anthropologist, there's definitely more to this. We have a very kind of deep-rooted historical, theoretical perspective, which comes from one of our early forefathers. And that is people usually do things or think things very different from what they say you know, that they're going to do. So I do wonder, you know, if I were to talk to Carl Lentz and say, you know, I've been thinking about this and this concerns me, what his response would be and what his response would be as as we pushed him and kind of attempted to dig deeper and draw down on where he is because they've done so much to build this brand and it's been incredibly successful. But where Carl is within all of what we're seeing, deep down, I really hope that this just doesn't signal the Western preoccupation with the self and with representations of the self because we are becoming more concerned with how we look. And I think there's a hyper awareness how we look influences how people interact with us. It's concerning. It feels concerning when we should be instead thinking about our inner state, you know, and developing that.
2: I like how you talked to Catherine how I, as an anthropologist, when you meet someone, you say that their clothes communicate something to you instantly. Because I'm thinking about right what we've been talking about this whole time about this, the hipster look and what that communicates versus another religious leader who I met once who his clothes immediately struck me on the very opposite end of the spectrum was the teacher Shane Claiborne, who leads like intentional communities and Makes his own clothes. He wears these pants in the front where you can fit a Bible in each pocket on the front. And he's got like dreadlocks and a real, just like rough and humble look. And so, on the one hand, people have pointed to him, you know, he's like a new radical and saying, Oh, he's like living among the poor and the people and giving up all he has. And you say, Well, yes, but are we all called to? to make our own clothes and and look and dress like Shane Claiborne, know that there's got to be this variety of ways, you know, between him and Carl Lentz, where people use fashion to the glory of God, right? Like in all these creative, expressive, beautiful, good ways. It's not about like limiting people in that, but also about keeping kind of the the concerns about humility and cost and status in mind, but knowing that even within that, there's this huge range where we're going to see the way we dress come into play as leaders or as Christians.
1: Yeah. And I think that's actually maybe speaks to my own discomfort around the conversation around... Carl Lentz for the past 10 years, which is not to be confused with Carl Lentz, who is a person. But the fact that somehow the clothes that he was wearing was the thing that we should be intrigued by. And I felt that that was obviously an angle that I would imagine many secular outlets that aren't as necessarily interested in the religious angle for something are going to be asking or kind of viewing him as. But I guess what frustrated me was not seeing enough Christians in particular, try to get a sense of like, well, what is actually being taught? Why is he connecting to people so well? What is resonating here? The Bible is very blunt. You know, man looks at the outer appearance and God looks at the heart. But I saw for so many Christians that the conversation just like ended with his clothes, right? And then they would then give some grandiose um, declaration of what type of theology he must be having or the views that he must hold because of this type of thing. And so to the extent that, there can be a better balance between how we are interpreting what people are wearing versus holding them responsible for the types of ways that they're leading and teaching and not being as easily prone, I guess, to make generalizations based on what people are wearing that somehow kind of have larger theological ramifications or have to be this the main thing, the primary thing that gets people intrigued or interested in them. Catherine, you have any thoughts?
3: The other thing that I found quite frustrating was that this branding, his clothing, the way it all came together, really, it felt like on the one hand, it was allowed to take dominance of the conversation, the emergence of the whole hipster movement, hipster pasta movement, which was really around branding in this particular way, because they could see it was successful because it worked really allowed that to dominate the conversation when it should be about, you know, what they're preaching, what kind of theology are they presenting. And that's something that still feels like it's happening, that it doesn't feel like there's enough interrogation into this. I wonder even with Carl Lentz's infidelity, and how that's being reported, whether now that will start, I'm not sure. It is, and whether people are going to start to think about the whole movement at large and similar figures to Carl Lentz and, and rethink what's been happening. But it doesn't feel like it.
1: As we conclude this conversation, Catherine, you've obviously studied pop culture for a long time. Are there any specific challenges that you would like to give the church with regards to how you've seen it interact with pop culture over the past couple of years?
3: We need to be wary of these big celebrity inducing platforms I think that the church sees growth religious leaders who have been able to grow their their church base by being culturally informed looks good from the outset but I think that steady growth is better than fast growth and I think that it needs to go deeper like there is so much going on underneath pop culture that feeds into pop culture and there's so much depth to that that really needs to be engaged with it's, it's not enough to engage with it on the surface or to be loose with it or just to play around with it through through fashion it needs to slow down and, and there needs to be more depth to it basically
2: I'll just say that I did think that this was going to be a light conversation and I think that <laughs> maybe that's the, that's the allure of fashion of like, oh yeah, it'll just be fun to talk about. But at the end of it, I feel like a bigger sense of significance and weight to what we've been talking about than I did when we set out to do this. So I guess that's a good thing. (laughs)
3: I think it's been a tremendous
1: discussion, everyone.
3: Uh, Great. It, it, It is weighty. I mean, like, you know, when I talk about fashion and how much I love fashion I think as even with some of my friends initially they too think that it's going to be a light (laughs) conversation about what's in and what's not it's so much deeper because it's so tied to who we are as people and I think it's good to have these conversations and to tease it all out
1: well thank you so much everyone for really Deciding to go there and being introspective and in what we were thinking. And I'm delighted that we could surprise everyone who thinks they have a very lighthearted holiday listen happening this week with some really meaty conversation. That's my absolute favorite thing to bring people here at Quick to Listen. So I just want to thank you all for engaging. For folks who have comments for us, send us an email. We are at podcasts with an S at christianitytoday.com. We are on Twitter at CT Podcasts. Now's the time of the show where we most of the time actually do something lighthearted. It is called Precious Moments, and we all get to share something that has recently brought us joy. Kate, can I ask you to go first?
2: Sure. So in the United States, this is our Thanksgiving holiday week, and one thing that brought me joy was deciding not to cook Thanksgiving, but to cater it in. So we ordered a meal from a local restaurant. So I have no work ahead of me for Thanksgiving. And I get to enjoy cheddar biscuit stuffing, which sounds like the most kind of Southern and yummy mm-hmm. thing headed to my table. So I'm um, excited about that.
1: Wait, tell us what else is in your spread. What else did you get?
2: There, It's going to be a whole roast turkey. We're going to have green beans and mac and cheese and sweet potatoes, roll biscuits, and then apple pie. Delicious. That's great. Where can people find you outside of here? So I'm at Kate Shelnut on Twitter. And then Christianity Today slash news is where you can find all our news stories and updates, which I report and edit for CT. All right,
3: Catherine. Mine was that I got a skateboard on Monday. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea of how to skate. I'm going to learn, but I'm just really excited. I'm just waiting for my knee pads to come <laughs> in the post and then I can get out there and just... It looks. Really tell us the cool. long
1: story behind this. How long have you been thinking of getting it?
3: Well, speaking of fashion, I've always been into skater culture and fashion and just like, I love it. I think it's a very stylized... Subculture that people don't always see as being really stylized. I just love the whole like, you know, cruising along on four (laughs) wheels on a board, and I walk everywhere. So I just always think, you know, if I had a skateboard, how much quicker could I be? It would be so much more fun. So I just decided to take the plunge, and I've got this skateboard. It looks very cool, but I think that's because I haven't, you know, fully tried it out yet and fallen multiple times.
1: So what's your plan for how you're going to learn?
3: So I've got, well, I've got all the equipment. I've been looking up multiple YouTube videos because YouTube is amazing. And (laughs) I've been practicing in my bedroom on carpet so I can balance. But as soon as I'm done with work for the Christmas break, it's going to be my Christmas hobby. So I'm really looking forward to cracking the skateboard. I admire that so much.
1: (laughs) (laughs) All right. Where can people find you and your work outside of this show?
3: You can find me on Twitter and I would love to have conversations via Twitter. So I'm at Kat, K-A-T, Ajibadi, which is A-J-I-B-A-D-E. And for my professional work, you can look me up on LSE Research and just type in my name and my profile
1: comes up. All right. So last week on the show... Ted and I had a brief conversation about me moving and I think some people wanted to know more about that. So I will just say I'm moving and I'm going to be leaving Chicago in a couple weeks and moving to Hawaii next year. That is happening for everyone who doesn't follow me on Twitter or all the quick to listen listeners who are out there. I thought I would just name that. I don't know right now if that will be a precious moment when I move to Hawaii, but right now it's more of a Bittersweet moment, but I just wanted to tell everyone that might be curious. As far as actual precious moments, I spent time on Sunday with two of my friends who are artists slash musicians, slash music teachers, slash people that spin fire, and it was so inspiring hanging out with them. They played me some of their music that they've been working on, and I thought their music was like the best thing ever because it was exactly the type of music I like. It was both, I don't know, somewhat rock but synth and pop. They were really talented. It was also just fun to hang out with people who are that creative and inspirational. So shout out to Gwen and Alan for being awesome. All right, that is it for us this week. Thank you everyone for listening to this episode of Quick to Listen. You can send us your thoughts and insights and anything we missed at podcast at com. This podcast is produced by myself and Matt Lindort. The music is by Sweeps, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. If you end up going on to Apple Podcasts to find this, please rate and review the show. For everyone who does that, that's a huge shot of encouragement for us making it. We'll see you all next week. For those in the States, happy Thanksgiving. Bye.